Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Robert Fleming. I'm one of the partners at Fleming & Curdy PLC at Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm. One of the other partners sitting across from me, a respectable six plus feet away, is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, Robert. You forgot to mention our two other guests today. <laughs> we have both Duncan and Odin, the two office dogs, curled up at our respective feet listening to us. I think that they're getting to be pretty good at these elder law issues topics. Oh, well, Duncan knows all of the laws. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that uh, that today we would talk about um, something that comes up an awful lot in conversations with, with our clients. I know you have them. I have them all the time. Uh, my clients will say, um, I want to leave everything to my children. Oh, but I don't want their spouses to get anything. And Arizona is a community property state, so that's a problem, isn't it? As soon as you leave something to one of your children, their spouse, if they live in Arizona, obviously owns half of it because it's a, it's a community property state. Right, Elizabeth? Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Inheritance is always separate property, Robert. And what most people don't realize is that there are certain rules about what is separate property even once you're married. So that means that if I inherited money from a relative and I am married, that inheritance would not automatically become community property. However, this is the most important part about being an attorney, you get to say however and a it lot. depends. Yes. A lot of people don't appreciate that the way money will travel or be transferred can change its character, meaning I can change separate property into community property by the nature of how I move the money that I may have received, meaning if I start to invest it in the community, if I invested in a, something that I jointly own or account that is jointly held, all of a sudden this, this separate property can start to take on the character of community property. So I often say to clients that it's a little bit like the arrow of time. It only really travels easily one direction. It is so easy to turn your separate property into community property but it's really, really quite challenging to turn your community property back into separate property. So in the example you give, Elizabeth, if you inherit something from a family member and you put your spouse's name on the account and then a month later you think, well, that was a stupid mistake and you take their name off the account, well, you've probably turned it into community property and probably have not turned it back into separate property. By, uh, by simply making those those name changes. And Robert, I, I have to say community property was one of my favorite classes in law school. And one of the most interesting things to me about changing the character of property is actually tracing the property and how the character may change, meaning how I receive the property as separate property, what kind of account I might put it into, does it generate income? Is it an investment account? Did I put it into a piece of real estate? Has the value or the equity in the real estate changed? This is an incredibly complicated area of law that I think people don't really appreciate um, that often. But what we want folks to know is, is that it is perfectly okay to come in and to ask us questions about the character of property, and if you have the intention that you want to leave property for a son or daughter, 
a friend, whoever it is, and you don't want that property to become community property, that's important that we talk to you about it. So if I, if that's my case, I, I love my daughter-in-law, but I don't want her to ever have her hands on the property. What is What can I do to make sure that my son doesn't just turn it into community property, Elizabeth? That's a hard question, Robert. The first thing I would say is it is helpful if rather than having the property flow to your son outright from your estate, that we create a trust for your son's benefit and have the funds move into that trust for your son. From there, there is a whole host of decisions related to who the trustee might be, what the dispositive provisions of the trust might be, whether there are powers of appointment. But the threshold question is, are you comfortable having the funds flow into a trust for your child's benefit rather than outright? That's the single biggest thing anybody can do to help preserve the character of the property and make it separate property. We often tell our clients that in addition to whatever they're leaving to their children, they, they can leave an extra little benefit to them by leaving their money in trust. And this is one of the reasons why. It makes it easier to keep it separate property so that there isn't a, a, a confusion about community property or an issue if the child later divorces. Um, another benefit for leaving property in trust is that you protect, you can protect the trust, the assets, the inheritance from your children's creditors. Uh, and, and that can be a huge boon. So that's something that we're gonna talk to you about as soon as you start t telling us about your children's family relationships. Another thing, Robert, is we often have questions from people who may have a child who's a doctor or who's an attorney. Um, these, these are questions that often come up, not only because of creditor protection, but in the general scope of how best to structure assets for a child who may be facing a complicated kind of a practice where there's a high degree of liability. One thing I would say that um, is something that I've thought about and had many conversations with clients is that this is your money. You get to decide what you want to do with it. And if your goal is to benefit your child, we will do whatever we can to help make sure that we work with a plan that does that. We develop that with you and that your intention is clear. When I start to work with people who have real concerns about the spouse of a child taking assets from their child or making it community property or there's a real clear issue there, there are some other provisions and other things that we can do with the estate to help provide some security for your child. But I do think that it's important, Robert, we talk to people a little bit about the kinds of options you can give a child when you're putting money in a trust for his benefit or her benefit. What are some of those options? Right. You can say uh, the, the, the beneficiary will only have access to the income, or you can say that the, they will only have access to the principal for building a house or starting a business or something. You can say uh, each of my children is the trustee for the other one. And so if either of them wants to get to the principal, they're going to have to convince their brother or sister that it's an appropriate thing to do. You can name a, a professional fiduciary as trustee so that before, uh, before your child is going to get access to the principal, they're going to have to come up with a business plan for their proposed investment. There are 
any number of variations we can talk about. And you can make your child his or her own trustee. However, there are uh, their own kind of host of issues and concerns with that. But I would tell folks that this is something we really want to spend time with you talking about. And so often folks are concerned about the impression that it may give that they might not trust a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law. I think that's a bunch of baloney. I, I think the honest truth of it is, is this is your money. You're in charge of how it, how it gets to move through your estate. The reality, though, is, is when you die, you're dead. So you're just not going to know you're how hard. A, you're going to have a harder time making decisions after that. Right. right. And you're not going to know how hard your son-in-law works to try and claw away your daughter's inheritance. Well, I mean, these things, sometimes these concerns can linger. We want to do what we can to help ameliorate them. But remember, we can't resolve issues that may be in the future. We can just try and plan ahead for them. Well, in that vein, Elizabeth, one of the things that I often tell uh, my clients that um, th- that comes with the territory of being a lawyer is you get to kill people off in very creative, unlikely sequences. And, and it turns out that one of the most common concerns that clients have is not, if I leave everything to my son, will my daughter-in-law get her hands on it? It is, if I leave everything to my son and then he dies before I do, does it just go to his wife? And that's a... Of course, it's going to be state-specific, but in Arizona, that's a pretty clear answer. Uh, The answer is no, it doesn't go to the spouse unless you say that that's what you want. It goes to the children of your son instead, to your grandchildren by default, unless you say that is not what you want. And what if your son dies before you do without any children? Well, then it goes to your other children. It still doesn't go to the spouse. So there's a whole host of default rules that are built in that most often are what our clients want, but, uh, but they need to understand that if they don't address those questions, they've adopted the default rules. And Robert, these are things that can change over time, meaning that you may come in today and we may develop a trust for you. And a couple of years from now, you may want to amend the provisions of the trust. Um, I, I do think that it's important for people to understand that trusts can be changed. They are adaptable. And if you have a revocable trust and you have concerns or questions about it, we can talk to you. I think I've seen scenarios um, go a number of different ways when it comes to leaving money for a child outright or in trust. I'm happy to talk to any clients that come in about the good, bad, and the ugly. But the most important thing I find with families is good communication. So if you have a lot of anxiety about trust planning and how that will relate to your children, let's talk about it because we don't want you to be obsessing about that every time you see your son and your daughter-in-law. That really is kind of the key. There's a lot of flexibility in estate planning. There are a bunch of rules that are default rules. You don't have to accept the default rules. You get to say whatever you want. Uh, whatever limitations you want to put on, unless they violate public policy, we're going to help you. Uh, we're going to help you get there. I'm Robert Fleming, and I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, one of my partners here at Fleming and Curdy PLC. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, and and we kind of hope that you enjoy listening to Elder Law Issues, and that uh, oh, what the heck, you'll do it again. We'll talk to you that then. <laughs>